From building companies to burning out, this is the really, really. We're gonna start this again. Welcome to the re- <laughs> welcome to the really, really. This is not worth Matt's time. <laughs> no, this is all just trash. Um, welcome to our guest, Nick Krabs, Vinyl Boise Startup Week Trailhead, kind of the man around here. Um, we were just literally talking about Jeff Bezos and eating the Mona Lisa uh, by petition, mm-hmm. buying and eating the Mona Lisa from mm-hmm. Change.org. From Change.org, and then mm-hmm. also some some tomfoolery about who's following him into space. So, a lot of really interesting topics to start this episode. Which I'm excited about. Yeah. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. All right. If we're starting off from there, then I need to ask you a question, Matt. Please. Do you think that it is ethical to eat the rich? To eat the rich? It, I would have... I, it doesn't sound... It doesn't sound... Things like more more research, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this semantically, maybe, but like, are we actually eating the rich, or is this just a... a a parallel for how we're going to tax them appropriately. Well, I think that's still forming. I, I'm not sure that there's like an official group that has defined what the eat the rich movement is is actually entirely yeah. about. It's a problem when you distill a whole movement down to a catchphrase. But it's true. Yeah. I mean, because I'm like definitely down to tax people appropriately, but I, I certainly don't see cannibalism anywhere. I don't think you resort to that. Yeah. yeah. I just we've gone off the deep end, which makes me wonder what Dom's web browser history looks like <laughs> that we would even be engaging in such a conversation. Or it would be the first question yeah. today. But yeah, it's okay. No, I don't think yeah. I would eat the rich. Eat the rich. Yeah, no. I mean, it does say something about our society that the most hard hitting and most controversial taglines are the ones that like end up floating to the top of of well, at the top of my list. Apparently, <laughs> you're definitely the only one. Buzzword yeah. culture. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, tell us a little bit about what what's going on with the trailhead. I know there's a fundraiser coming up, and we were excited to get together and, and have this conversation about ecosystem because you were here and because that event's going on. Yeah, I think at a high level, I think there's a lot of things really exciting to talk about. I mean, one with with COVID ending, you know, ending and putting that in air quotes that everyone can't see. Right, we still are certainly in the midst of a pandemic, but. Uh, we are able to leave our house safely and go engage in things like this. Where we're sitting in a room together without masks, right? So with some of those restrictions ending and the world opening back up, you know, in Boise specifically, I really see uh, so much opportunity in in the growth of what's going on here. People are really excited to get out and go participate in organizations that we haven't seen in a year. And added on top of that, the city itself just had a ton of growth, right? People were moving here in tens of thousands during the pandemic. And so there's a lot of new people to go meet, right? Who have interesting stories. They're doing interesting things. They brought their company, whatever it is. So, you know, we really think that that's just kind of what's going on in Boise right now. When I go to other ecosystems, I hear much sadder stories, right? And that's just not the reality of what's going on. So, you know, what is Startup Week or or we've rebranded now to Boise Entrepreneur Week, right? We think that's a a more appropriate title for the kind of content we've been bringing anyways. It widens the tentpole. As I've been saying, every startup requires entrepreneurs, but not every entrepreneur builds a startup, right? So like we're trying to make sure that this is a place for everyone who's doing interesting and cool things. But a big part of our goal this year, outside of the normal education and recruiting stuff that we normally do, is to really try and accelerate that positive connection that people can have with with one another. So we're talking about a lot more social events. And when I say social events, I don't mean like standing at a bar with a cocktail and we're all wearing suits and we do that like awkward thing where I'm like, my business card's ready to go in my pocket. Please, let's talk quick. Oh, oh but you're right. so good at that awkward thing. And I'd like to ban business cards or cancel them altogether. Oh, Personal I preference. Still, they, have a, they have a purpose. It's just a weird one, right? <laughs> <laughs> they still mean something, they right? They do, you're right. Um, unfortunately. But uh, anyway, so we're not talking about that. Like there's certainly, there'll be some of those events, but we're talking about like, what does a mentor hike look like? How do you get the Boise Bicycle Project to do a founder's bike ride down the green belt? What does it look like to go clean up the Boise River? What does a morning look like if we're all going to go out there with some trash bags and meet each other and do a good thing for our community and get to know one another? What does that look like? How do we design an interesting event around that? So that's how we're thinking. We think that people want to get out, do activities, and meet one another. And so we're going to try and accelerate that kind of behavior at Startup Week or at Entrepreneur Week. I love that. What's the significance of that? What result does Startup Week produce in our community? Well, I mean, I think Entrepreneur Week has a lot of high level goals where it's trying to affect positive change in the ecosystem. Now, we're just a week long event. So it's not like we can control, 
you know, these levers of anything, but we can all bring everyone together at one moment, shout really loud, and make sure that those connections that need to be had, so, you know, the next year's worth of business development and whatever it is that you need to do, it's a great place to do that. So, you know, you see a lot of early stage companies who are looking for funding. Well, Startup Week's kind of the one time in our ecosystem where all those people are gonna be in the same place at once, right? And so that's really what we're trying to do is have these moments that are unique, that you won't get throughout the rest of the year. And uh, you know that really is why we get the kind of attendance numbers that we typically do. This year we're planning on 6,000 attendees is what we're shooting for. That's a pretty big jump. Our 2019 numbers were 3,400 attendees. So we're trying to more than double participation. We think widening the tent poles, the name change, and a lot of other stuff that we're planning will help with that. But I'd say that's the big thing is really trying to make sure that everyone knows what other folks are up to, how I can help you, how you can help me. I think one of the greatest parts of Startup Week is, or Entrepreneurship Week as you're calling it, is the trail mix competition. Mm. I have been through uh, a lot of different ecosystems and that one to me seems like one of the biggest solutions that doesn't involve taking investor capital yeah, um, because it is allowing you really what you need and that's early access, the good folks at Albertsons to, to give off some, some shelf space, a little bit of money to do that. Yeah. Um, I think for, you know, at least a CPG entrepreneur, that is a fantastic program. Yeah. Well, and I'll say just for listeners who may not know what that is. So every year during startup week, we have kind of a host of pitch competitions that we do. Um, last year we, you know, during a pandemic when we were virtual, we gave away about $74,000 in prize money across a handful of pitch competitions, trail mix being one of them. Right. And so trail mix is a, a food, uh, entrepreneur pitch competition. These are CPG companies who are trying to, you know, they're going from the farmer's market, trying to go to the supermarket. Right. So they're trying to make that leap in, in co-packing and production and marketing and, you know, and, 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 and right. And so this competition gets them in front of Albertsons. We select down to a handful of finalists who get up on stage and pitch. Uh, you get to come to the event, eat the food, which, you know, selfishly, that's why I love going, right? <laughs> uh, and then Albertsons and several other judges will pick a winner. That winner gets a check for, you know, 20K. We're hoping to bump that up this year, uh, as well as gets onboarded to be on the store shelves of Albertsons. So it's a pretty big win for an early stage CPG company. So anyways, we love that event. That's obviously one we're gonna do again this year. It's a good one. Yeah. Good, been a mentor for that two years running and looking forward to doing it again. And that's, you know, that's the the great thing about having Trailhead here. That's a Trailhead program that ended up getting, you know, absorbs the wrong way, but like it got absorbed into Entrepreneur Week several Acquired. years ago. No, I mean, Trailhead's a huge partner in Entrepreneur <laughs> Week, so I, we didn't acquire anything, Shoot. right? We just figured that was the right time to do it, right? So that's when, uh, and that's kind of the benefit of having Trailhead here as opposed to like just a traditional co-working space or some of these for-profit co-working spaces that these, they're actually trying to put together programs that accelerate entrepreneurship. Interesting, yeah. It's interesting that little debate over acquire or include, but I know, I mean, you build a co, you've built a coalition of different events and different, different little pockets of energy around mm -hmm. Boise that you know have come together to create this very dynamic event and i was just thinking like after i asked that question about what's the significance of boise entrepreneur week what's the significance of a one week event when we have a whole year and i i was at first thinking that you know in a lot of cases it seems like anecdotally there are some winners from those events like and i'm not just talking about the people who win checks but there are some people who like get in get engaged, meet up with somebody who connects them with somebody else. And then that turns into like an opportunity for them down the road. Yeah. And then there are other people that just show up to the event and go to two talks and, and maybe get some insights or not. But I think I, the biggest output from that might be really just affecting like a, a percentage of people who get the most into it. And, you know, that was something I really liked about when you were talking about creating more opportunities for people to connect over, mm -hmm. over things that weren't just, you know, educational talks, which are great, but not the yeah. only thing. I mean, like, listen, we're still going to, our, our typical event has about a hundred and some odd amount of those education talks. This year, we're going to cut it down to 70 and we're going to do a lot more of these social events because we think that's what people want. Yeah. Now, will they want that next year? I don't know, right? Next year's next year. We're going to work on the, this way this year, but I think we're, we're trying to tap into and really be a resource for the needs and wants of our community for this year. And I, I really get the sense that that's that all of our feedback is pointing in that direction. But I mean, to your point, though, every conference, regardless of whether it's Entrepreneur Week or something else, 
every conference you get out of it which you want to put in right so there's some people that are very disciplined about this right they have the the lead list if you will of people they want to go talk to ahead of time they spend weeks preparing for it those people get a ton out of conferences right and then there's people you know maybe i'll throw myself under the bus here like me and me who, who like show up and you like go to the networking event and you go to a, the keynote and you go to a couple things and you like certainly meet interesting people and you make good connections but like I didn't prepare for that for three weeks to go to, right? I had a, an okay time. I learned something new and I made five connections that I didn't have yesterday, right? That kind of mindset going into any conference makes a big difference in what you'll get out of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Interested in how that might change in the future as conferences go more virtual, which you guys did last year and went well, but do you yeah, think it for, goes, for what it, you could in a rush? Sorry, do you think it will stay virtual? No. I don't think so either. So no. I, I, I've had this debate like an uh, absolute crap ton, right? So here's my, here's my thoughts if you want me to just lay it out. So I think all conferences will be hybrid moving forward, but the vast majority of people will still continue to engage in person. And there will be some amount of content that is evergreen that you can engage with live and then engage with later because it actually benefits the conference itself to have the infrastructure to record all the stuff anyways and get it out to the masses. Right. So like, I think all these conferences that certainly stuck through going virtual are going to be hybrid moving forward, but the vast majority of attendees are still going to come in person because you just can't beat like meeting someone and then being like, let's go grab lunch, yeah. right? You just can't beat it. You yeah. can't beat it. That's like the best way to build a personal connection with someone. And being away from your desk. I mean, if I'm at my desk, I'm like constantly getting notifications about things that I probably should be doing, mm -hmm. you know, but if you're at a conference, you just have to accept it. You're oh, just, dude, you know, I, you're immersed in it. I just straight up stopped going to virtual conferences probably about October, November last year because of exactly what you just said. So when I have a conference on, it's a virtual conference that I'm trying to watch. There's no way I'm 100% engaged with it, right? Like Slack is blown up, email's blown up, my phone's blown up. And like, yeah, I'm kind of hearing it. I'm kind of listening. I'm kind of participating but like really I was just answering my email and I was answering Slack and I was just working like I would normally work in a regular work day and like you know the news was on the background it just happened to be the conference right and I think especially later in the year I think most people were like that in fact I started just going to conferences so I could support the people who were running the conference like <laughs> literally I'd log in and be like I'll help them hit but, their well, numbers you both have multiple screens at your workstation. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know. Oh, that notification. Do. Okay, Boomer. That, All I'm yeah. saying, okay, I, I do too, but, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, complaining well, about notifications. The thing dings regardless of whether you have one screen or seven, right? <laughs> That's like, for sure. That's <laughs> for sure. It's true. It is yeah. distraction prone. Also, is, side normal. topic, are we running technology or is technology running us now? What do we decide? I still think we're running it. But I think that it's, you know, I ask me again in a couple of years. Yeah, Dom? We made the technology in the first place. Somebody made a conscious choice to help run us this way. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 don't think, I don't think we're there yet to the point that technology is actually running us. Tr technology is trying to, and we're doing our best to keep up. But the throughput, like the bandwidth between the technology and us is too low. That's why we need implants. We're not good mm. enough yet. See, I, I think the other way, by the way, I, I think we're at the inflection point and like the best new projects are about managing people in an autonomous way. And we are now at that point. Like my my calendar, my watch, my like Uber app, everything is now starting to tell me what I'm supposed to do in the next like 30 minutes with my time. And I think that's just going to get worse. And as long as we keep listening to that thing, we're doomed. Well, I think part of, <laughs> part of the problem, it's symptomatic, like that kind of frustration and the fact that it's actually created like a negative sensation in people, I think is just symptomatic of how bad the throughput is. It's just not like jiving into our mental state at the time that we're receiving the notification. And, you know, right now it sounds crazy to actually like go as far as having the technology know if you actually need to see that notification at that time or not. But like at some point, a oh, hundred years from it's now, it's worse than that. They're trying to figure out when you're going to pay the most attention to it. Oh yeah. Right? Well, yeah. They're going to notify you at that moment. Like, is it 11 PM right before you go to bed and you read your email for two hours while you're sitting in bed? Like, right. What, 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 what is the moment to like hit you with this stuff? Captive audience. And, yeah. that's, and that's the most effective data point that we have at this point. But you know, technology itself is going to become even more adapted to us and we're going to become more adapted to it. Like once, once Gen Z is in retirement homes or whatever we have for that, like it's going to be a completely different landscape. This is why I'm stuff. in CPG because you guys <laughs> will single-handedly fuck the world up, and I will have nothing to do with that. Yes, we have, don't always use recyclable goods. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty we sure have, we're all having cancer because of our food, well, so it is still kind we, of your guys. We may fault. play a role yeah, in it. Guys. <laughs> Certainly, are adding a lot to the landfills that you're not. Yeah. Um, I want to segue this um, into where Dom and I started. This entire project was around the ecosystem and. And this one particular and really just kind of observing and discussing 
the many different opinions that exist in this one. Sure. And, you know, the, we had a fabulous write-up in, in Inc. Mm-hmm. a while ago, and, and it, bright, it brings this sense of just the, of a magnifying glass, I think, when people are here, that whether they're experiencing it the way that that article kind of was written or if they felt outcast from that. And it's been really interesting to watch and listen to what seems like a very polarized oh, yeah. ecosystem that way. Some There seems to still be the haves and the have-nots in that. And I I can say in the last year, I have fully switched from feeling like the outsider to really feeling like the haves in that particular sentence. But I can tell you that it was because of a lot of hard work and effort to be included in the ecosystem to add value to the ecosystem. Well, that's it. Yes. So it's a small ecosystem. Listen, I think I think people, especially coming from bigger cities, kind of have visions of this ecosystem looking like the San Francisco that they just came from. It doesn't look like that. Okay. No. So you're talking about a small ecosystem with a s- smaller handful of players, whether that's fundraisers, whether that's startup founders, whatever it is, right? Like it's all just going to be smaller. And there certainly is a desire here to maintain some of the positive culture that has got us growing the way that we've been growing. And so I think when you're talking about outsiders or new people or whatever you want to talk about, I think that's where people get tripped up, right? They're like, okay, I'm going to move to Boise. I did this high-powered thing in a coastal city, and I'm going to move to Boise, Idaho, and I'm going to teach those local I'm going to run that shit. <laughs> I'm going to show them how this is done. I'm going to, I'm going to make it awesome, right? Well, guess what? No one cares, right? Uh, and it's a small place, so no one cares really, really, really fast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And so I think it's just the wrong attitude, right? So separate from that, if you show up and you're like, okay, let's look at where the weakness is. Let's look where I can help. Let's go talk to people. Let's learn about what the weaknesses in the ecosystem instead of just trying to tell people what is. Well, that's accepted pretty well, but it still takes time to your point, right? It it takes a while to know what those problems are, to know who the people are that have some stake in that, to form some coalition, even if just an opinion, right? To actually do the kinds of things that might be your ambition. Some people are better at that. Some people get that. Other people's, you know, don't live here in three years, right? Like, I mean, well, it's not an easy, despite how small it is coming from a coastal area or somewhere else, it is, not that it's um it is a lot harder to um just you can't just show up here and be in the fold mm-hmm. uh, and and I think there's a there's a sense of kind of protecting what this is because this place is first and foremost an amazing place to live it is yeah um and I you know and obviously that's driving real estate prices up there are other things outside of entrepreneurship that are driving people here mm-hmm. but I do think that you know if if people that are coming into the city are um, are coming to the trailhead, by the way, which is ground zero, I still think, for oh, yeah. learning to navigate, understand, meet, you know, meeting yourself, TM, mm-hmm. Matt Gilkerson, like that's just a really good, you know, sort of the mayor and the, the tour guide around it. Everyone's very, very good Listen, about that part. A hot desk at trailhead costs 50 bucks a month. If you're a new person coming to Boise, it's the best $50 a month you can possibly spend. And we didn't, and we didn't have that before. Like before trailhead came in, yep. what, six years, six years trailhead yeah yeah mm-hmm. sounds right yeah i mean before they came in there wasn't this central place that you could go to like if you actually wanted to start like a so that's uh, not entirely true we've had evolutions of this here we had the water cooler yeah i mean for that but what we then, needed was a stable place that was going to be around in two or three years that was going to have the right kind of support from the s- stakeholders of the city and the ccdc and the local you know call it big businesses right like we needed a place that was going to build that stability and trailhead is really kind of the confluence of having enough of that happen at one time right and it's accessible and it's easy to find yeah it's you know yeah it's right downtown i mean it's like Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I tell people all the time, if you're new, you're trying to meet people. Well, first come to Entrepreneur Week, right? Definitely yeah. plan your trip in October. But like go spend the 50 bucks and get a desk at Trailhead. And especially right now where people like Trailhead was empty during the pandemic. Like, let's be real. They barely could have people there legally. Right. And so like now that's over. Right. And so I went in there this week and I was like, yes, like the space was full for the first time in like a year. I mean, there's like 20, awesome. 30 it's people awesome. in there. Right. I was like, finally. Um, so, I mean, you know, now's a good time too, because all that's kind of opening back up, right? It's, it's interesting to bring up the outsider talk. Cause I think, and I can speak from my own perspective was, you know, just the sense of people saying there's some nativism oh, yeah. around here. And it, what's really weird about it is that I simultaneously loathed it and felt like I was pushed aside. And at the very same time held that same level of nativism to people that were coming in. 
It was a very weird thing. Oh, it's a quick switch, yeah. And because you want to, like, you know, it's small, you want to defend it, but at the same time, like, you're also like, well, I'm not, it, it is, it's a very, it's an interesting little thing to navigate, but it, I've had conversations even this week with local fund in town, local funds in town, and people that are on both sides of this nativism talk. Some people are saying, uh, we're just going to kind of depend on old, on new Boise people and new energy and not so much integrate with the old. And so, and then I've heard other people saying, well, we'll just stay with the old and not integrate with the new. What do you I, think? I, what's the strategy, solve for that? Either strategy is a weakness. So I agree. to be perfectly clear. So I can talk about how like Entrepreneurship Week thinks yeah. about this. Entrepreneur Week, right? So one of our goals for this year is to accelerate the onboarding of transplants in Boise into our ecosystem, right? We want to figure out a way to get them plugged into the interesting things going on here faster, yep. right? Now that could be a job, that could be funding a startup, that could be just getting them a seat at Trailhead, like well, whatever. We don't know what those needs are. Well, we will individual managers, but that's the idea is trying to accelerate them faster, right? But with that said, the key stakeholders of our event are not those people, right? So we have a lot of key stakeholders who are OG Boise, right? Like I can count myself a part of that group, oh, yeah. right? But we also recognize that change, you can be a part of it or it can be done to you, right? And that's the truth of every single ecosystem. So trying to protect something that's going to evolve and be different, these aren't stagnant things, right? And especially when like lots of new people are coming, they're gonna just gonna change faster and faster. And so like it can be done to you, or you can be part of the solution. You can make it better, right? Yeah. And so that's the way I like to think about this is you you, you got to think about both sides of the coin, but you, you really have to be making choices for whether your event, your organization, how you spend your time, whatever it is, to know that you can be part of the solution, you can be part of the change, you can be part of what Boise looks like in five, 10 years from now, or you don't have to, and someone else is going to make that choice for you. Yeah. I mean, it's always incredible to me how small a scrap of power somebody will take and try to hold over somebody else you know like you got here matt and then shortly after that you know you're you're seeing yourself as an insider and people who are coming in as outsiders you know not intentionally no definitely it's not just, it's just something that we do yep. it's just like part of our biology I mean, look at look at the history of like immigration policy with this country right like if you're irish and you come here in like the mid 1800s right like by the end of your life, you're like, no more immigrants, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, we could we could fill the Boise area with a million people who are completely identical, and they will find a way to start yeah. hating another group. <laughs> that, that's absolutely for sure. Where do we like? Let's. I'd like to pick up another conversation, and just because we have Nick here, when it comes to capital in the ecosystem. Mm. So this is a, again, we're just taking all the polarizing stuff we've learned over ten and mm -hmm. throwing them all at you. Sure. So because I think you can field them. We've talked a lot about this and, you know, do you need more capital? Do you need more to per Jeff Reynolds, do you need more baby entrepreneurs making and doing things? Mm -hmm. You know, um, how do you, how are you thinking about that? So like to be very clear, it's super nuanced, right? Because there is a chicken before the egg problem here. Capital comes when there's interesting companies to fund, yep. right? But on the flip side, like interesting companies to fund aren't loud enough to get to Seattle in their messaging all the time. So I think, you know, we've had some history of companies that are fundable, that look right, they're hitting the right metrics, their pitch deck looks right, they're early stage, right? But like, they make sense to fund and they just don't get the funding because of a gap in capital. If you talk to, like I had a long conversation with Jack Bourne at Epic Ventures about this rent and he was like, well, the one nice thing for us who prefers coming in at the A round, when we look at Boise companies, they're super capital efficient because they've had to get through all those cycles without like easy money, right? And so they love looking at those deals, but how many really bubble up to getting to an A round, right? Yeah. That's, that's really that problem. So the gap that you're talking about is early stage, right? We're talking angel level, seed level. That's the gap that you're talking about to get those early stage entrepreneurs over the hump where they can get in a position to go get, you know, I'm putting this in air quotes again, a real round. Now, I don't think a real round is gonna happen in Boise for a while. You are gonna continue to hop on your plane and go to Seattle, the Bay Area, Boston, Austin, you know, that's what's going to continue to happen. So when it comes time to go get those whatever valuations, and those are all going crazy too right now. But like when it comes time to go do that behavior, you're still going to do it. Don't that count change. on Boise to fill out your round. And that I no. learned, and I, I think I didn't even have that. Um, I, I knew that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. We did ours like it was. But I think there's something awesome to that is if you're bringing outside capital in that again, there's a multi, there's a network effect to that at some point. Yeah. Oh, Bringing absolutely. other funds and other, you know, different people here, or at least, you know, their money or their time and talent here based here is, a, is I think is a really good thing that we don't talk about enough. Well, and so 
I travel around pretty frequently and go to other ecosystems with the intention of looking at them as an ecosystem. So I'll meet with, you know, the studios that are there. I'll meet with, if there's a Techstars program there, I'll go get a tour of their facility and talk with their directors and blah, 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 blah. So I'm really looking at it as like a, an ecosystem health thing. And what are they doing that's maybe working or not working? Or, you know, how can we learn from how those ecosystems developed. And what I've learned over and over and over and over is when I talk to specifically capital providers in those ecosystems, they are so curious about what's going on in Boise because they are like, talk to me about the Intuit stories. Talk to me about the Cradle Point story. Talk to me about the Truck Stop story. So they see these big exits coming out the other end, but they weren't necessarily involved in any of the early stage capital rounds. And so the eyeballs are on us. It's a, it's our job to be loud about the good things that are going on here. And that's part of the reason why like entrepreneur week is so great. Cause we can actually like blast off some of these companies. I will say it's something that we're really proud of is every single company that's won uh, one of our main pitch competitions is still in business today. That's awesome. Every single one. And most of them have gone on to, to get additional capital outside of the, you know, the prize money that's provided. Right. And so those kind of behaviors weren't happening before and now they are. So now some of those like earlier stage funding partners are interested in, in coming in and, and actually providing what, what those companies need. So I see that behavior happening more and more and more. I actually see it just going faster at this point. Um, you know, even my own group, right? We deployed 1.5 in, in early stage investing last year, right? And we're local. We partnered with some other people. I should say we syndicated with some other people, right? And I think we're going to continue to do that, right? When I talk to Blake, like he's going to continue that. I see, you know, Trolley House having more behavior right now than I've ever seen them have, right? So like I see it happening. Plus there's new groups coming in, right? I've talked to three in the last week. They want to sponsor Entrepreneur Week and make their hurrah, right? Great. So not that the problem's solved, but I do think there's a chicken before the egg thing. When I tell everybody who asks my honest opinion, I say, listen, it's great that more capital is coming to Boise, but you know what else we need? We need entrepreneurs with good ideas who have the grit to go get it done. And like, there's definitely a gap there. And a lot of the entrepreneurs in Boise, like fair warning, they're first time founders. You're not talking about, you know, people who've done this over and over and over. And first time founders have their own unique quirks. There's a lot of learning and handholding that goes on, which is fine. Maybe Um, not a lot of a network. Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, some of the, a lot of times I see these people who are probably professionals in some capacity before and decided that they have an idea that they want to explore. So they, yeah, they have industry relevant network. Fair, fair enough. But they're not, you know, they're not likely to be connected. They're not as likely to have like a friend who got around to funding and can give them a warm intro into like a VC that's going or to. a better friend who writes the first check or a better friend yeah. who writes the well, first that's, check. That's, or, yeah. the, that's the best entrepreneur friend, right? Who believes in you. I wonder, I wonder if, you know, I, I probably would have said this might be different now, but I might have said 10 years ago that there were kinds of companies that you wouldn't want to start in Boise, companies that really need a lot of that funding mm. that might be disadvantaged by starting here. A lot of the things that we're talking about might be a change to that, but I find myself wondering about this ugly question. Is that still true? Are there kinds of companies that you should not start in Boise? So listen, every ecosystem you go to tries to tout something that they do that's special that gives you a unique advantage to be there, right? So you go on the East Coast, you see like a lot of CPG, right? Boulder, uh, even yeah. the Boulder's really well known yeah. for that. And so a lot of ecosystems are like that where they have something that's special. So then the question then is asked, what's special about Boise, right? What's going on here that would give you some competitive advantage to be here? Right, I think a great one, which Matt can talk about a lot more. I think CPG is the like this is a good place to be for CPG. With Albertsons headquartered here, you have Winco headquartered here. You have a lot of the behind you, uh, you know, supply chain that you can access here. Like I haven't, it's never been a part of our ecosystem in any great you know amount. But man, are the tools prime? It's why to be I'm. Here. It's honestly why I moved here. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't to do something very specifically, but knowing that like all that that there was. It just felt like there was an energy here that we could take advantage of CPG wise. Yeah. I loved what Love Every was doing already. Yeah. There's, I think to Dom, answer Dom's question, there's a lot, I think everyone could come here and launch any company, but if so you're I coming here- So I don't believe here, that. So I don't believe that by the way. So I, I was, sorry, I was, I was like getting around to answering oh, your question yeah, yeah. very specifically. <laughs> but like, so I think, I think when you look at any ecosystem, you want to put yourself in places where there's an advantage for you to be there. And we could like list off the ones that are here. I think software generally in Boise, like, I mean, how many of these companies now have had exits? There's a lot of software engineers per capita, right? So like there's a handful of these things that Boise has a unique advantage at. 
you know, with Micron being in your backyard, there's some, there's definitely some advantage to Micron sitting, absolutely, you know, right on the freeway, right? So like, anyway, so that's that's how I think about this. Now, am I going to list off what companies you shouldn't start here? No, because I don't think I know what all the advantages are per se. But you know, I think you have to look at any ecosystem through that lens by putting my company, by putting my headquarters there. What am I gaining because of the resources in that town? Right. Yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? I was just going to say that. I think, it, and this is a great place. It can be a commuter city, a freelancer city. There's a lot of different things you can think of and, and start. I think some of them, though, if you're thinking about starting them and then needing or requiring some funding for those things, um, and you think that this is the place to do that for those things, like if you're doing an industrials business or a manufacturing business, I think, I've, and I've seen and noticed some articles on LinkedIn and stuff, the people that have come through 3D printing mm. and pitch 3D printing, and, and that wasn't, well, you know, incredibly well received. I think the way that person thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, my point of, is, yeah, there's just some a, of that's the individual, some of that's the company, hundred percent. The right? It's there's not always, the there's always lots of things, yeah, that yeah. contribute to why something doesn't work or doesn't. I don't, I don't know that the ecosystem itself should ever be in your top like three reasons why. It, totally right. Yeah, like, yeah. There's other factors at play there. Yeah. But certainly, again, think about what the advantages are and why you should be there. So you brought up something really interesting, and I'm going to derail this whole conversation yeah, right now. There is no format at this point. I have a question for you guys. Yes. Okay ready what do you think about freelancer cities okay what do you think about cities that are positioned well for people to cash out of their coastal cities move and work remotely uh in in the city that they then move to and like a mass of people doing that is it a good thing a bad thing a neutral thing what is it i think it's a good thing for us here in boise i mean there were a lot of there were a lot of small effects that that causes that have a big impact for instance you know for a company previous to the pandemic to have let somebody work remotely for them from Idaho. They have to, you know, do a lot of filing. They have to like file their taxes here. It adds to this administrative burden. It adds to a legal burden. And so there were like green zone for Adobe, for instance, there were like green zones until an Adobe employee attempted to move to Idaho and then like got that added to their system. So it it creates opportunities for people to stay here and work for Adobe coming from that. And there are a lot of other companies. Uh, GitHub was another one that, that but where do they, I know sort But of do they happening. contribute I think to the ecosystem? Mine's neutral. Okay. I'm at a neutral. Oh. I'm going neutral. Neutral. Yeah. Interesting. You Have you ever gone neutral no, on this show? I, be, never. Never. <laughs> and, the, and the reason I can say that is because our freelancers good for what? In terms of having energy and people you know working out of their houses and stuff. I I don't run into a lot of those people. Um, they don't, I don't come across a lot of them. But I don't know... I guess I'm neutral because I do, I guess in what context. Oh well, yeah, I feel very is, strongly about this. There's a lot of different lenses to look through it. Yeah, yeah. And I believe it's kind of a nuanced argument, so I don't know if I have a hard position. Like I think it's all three. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's good, right, it's totally. bad, it's neutral, right? Yeah. Like I I think it's a nuanced argument, but like the 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 flip side of this is right like so housing goes up right yes. because you have all these people they don't necessarily engage with the local ecosystem so they're not working for local companies they're not necessarily going to events at trailhead they're not necessarily, i mean they may not even go to entrepreneurship right you know they should but um like they're not necessarily contributing to the overall health of the ecosystem now with that said right they also generate tax revenue they go to restaurants they go to bars they help the expansion of some of these great services that we want they probably go to tree fort you know almost certainly right yeah. so there's certainly they are members of our community, but they're not necessarily contributing to the ecosystem the same way someone who was working at, say, Clearwater likely would. Right. Um, so, you know, I, again, I think it's all three things at once, but um, I, this is something I've been, like, debating. Like, what what's the... What's the message to go engage with those people? Because the most ideal in my head scenario of a mass of people like that being here, one is they actually add to the creative capacity of our city and the people here. And so how do we engage with them to like pull them out of their like man dens? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. There, there's so much. Yeah, there's so much more. I mean, uh, contributing to the local economy, going to restaurants and, and participating just generally as they live their lives is is good in some mm -hmm. ways. They have an effect on on the property value costs, which of course Here's have crazy, like skyrocketed right? and mm -hmm. have continued to go up during the pandemic. You know, that kind of takes away from that. But I would say I would say that the biggest thing that I like about a lot of people who have high skills coming in from out of town, who are working for the companies that help the world move, mm -hmm. that have a high impact. People who are at the forefront of the technological challenges that we're facing, they're now residents here, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of those people, 
as as you know, Nick, and so do I, since we both hire technologists, a lot of those people are going to be looking for another job in two or three at years. At some point. At some point, yeah. At, at some point. And so if there's a company in town, if there's a startup that excites them, that they would mm -hmm. love to be a part of, then suddenly like there's this high talent resource just in our backyard. And so in many ways, like that pattern can backfill some of the the challenges that, that even larger companies have had mm -hmm. moving here and that have, startups have faced and well, trying to grow here. And and that's a, an incredibly important point because certainly the investment in like STEM education in Idaho, while, you know, better than it's ever been before, does not keep pace with the demand. It's just like, it probably can't, but it certainly isn't, right? And so like the hope is that this is a band-aid for our future labor shortage, right? Like right. that's the hope. Yeah. And the other thing is, is so I've, Really in the last year, I've noticed it's more, it's not just like technologists and creatives and project managers and people that like make the functions of these products go, it's also executives. And so I'm like finding more and more like chief, you know, blah, 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 officer of company, blah, 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 that's weird for them to be here, like have decided to reload their family to Boise. And I get to have like wonderful conversations with them and like learn a whole bunch about a company that's gigantic, but it's a little little odd that they're here, right? They don't have an office here. They don't have employees here. Like they just decided to make that reload. And I've seen more and more and more of that happening too, which is another kind of interesting. Yeah, that, it is interesting. I think, I think a lot of those people, I, I guess, you know, anecdotally, I had a friend who was talking about the music scene. They were excited about a lot of people moving here because some of those people had been like, you know, music business executives. But, you know, as it turns out, a lot of those music business executives aren't plugging in in the same way here that they would in Los Angeles or New York. Right. Right. They're, you know, they've made a lifestyle choice to come mm -hmm. to a place where they can, yeah. you know, have have a different lifestyle. They're like and super so, down to go hike the trails, but yeah. they like don't want to take the lunch meeting with right. you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so that's, that's kind of like not as great as, you know, a business tycoon coming here to do business. But, you know, that person is still likely to want to contribute to the local school, they're going to want to raise their kids yeah. with the same opportunities that they would have had in other markets. And so, you know, it might later on have a positive impact that it, it wouldn't have right now necessarily. Yeah. Anyways, I, I didn't mean to completely well, derail no, no, the conversation. I would say, but like, last thing I would say is that freelancing by and large sucks. Yeah. yeah like it's a real, I mean, it's a, it, in some ways it's a very, it's a, in a, in transition moment for a lot of people. Um, maybe there's some people that are career freelancers, which maybe there's more of those, but I would, I would just then say, I would anyone that's freelancing that's listening, I would challenge, uh, maybe not challenge the right word, but come down to the trailhead and introduce yourself because I do think that there's Yo, totally. a lot yeah, to be gained from just uh, one, you have people actually living here that you can collaborate with or if nothing else, vent to. I would also say though, this city is not one to come in, in my experience, and quickly monetize anything. Yeah. And, and I think that if people were moving here for that reason, I saw it a lot in Sun Valley. Um, in Ketchup, I saw this a ton oddly enough, where companies that could not raise money in San Francisco or New York, they would show up in the mountain town because they thought the proximity to billionaires was going to get their startup funded. And with the really tough thing, I think, for anyone thinking they're going to raise money from a billionaire, good luck. Yeah, like billionaires it, for a reason. They're billionaires for a reason. And I, I saw a lot of those companies come and go out of Ketchum quickly. I think I'll kind of end this part of the, the episode by saying I 100% believe that a community is a mirror of you. So if you mm -hmm. want to invest and really you get what you you what, what's looking back of you is what you put into it. For sure. Right. And I have done that. I have done that where I haven't engaged and and the other way I've done it twice now where I've really engaged. And that's the that's putting down the roots mm -hmm. and the relationships and really contributing something bigger than yourself and I think that is something we can always need more of. Definitely, definitely. I want I want to add a clarification to how I was seeing that question without taking too much time. I think I think Nick was talking about freelancers and people who are just working remotely for other companies on the freelancer side of things, or at least that's what. I, yeah, I'm putting them in a similar bucket. Obviously, yeah. their actual work status. We make broad is generalizations here more so yeah, than yeah. not. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of our brand. But the freelancers, I think, are actually more likely to start a company when they're done freelancing. I mean, that's what I did. I freelanced for for nine months. I had too many clients, and then I started a company that that uh, ended up partnering with Nick and, and, you know, that's a successful software development company that's now like doing uh, investments also in CPG companies and, you know, did it again after that. But I, I think they have that impact. Yep, for sure. I think it's a good question because there's a lot of them and there will continue to be a lot of people. Um, well, there's also a lot of anxiety about them. Yeah. Oh, right? really? I guess I've never heard that. Yeah. And so I think that's why that's why I asked that question, because I think there's a lot of anxiety about this, especially as you talk about home prices. And and listen, it's insane everywhere. But like 
really, really, it's insane in Boise, right? Like, yeah. so, yeah. you know, I think that's where a lot of this is coming up is like, you hear these like, oh, these people are just like working from home and they're like cashing out of San Francisco and grumble, grumble, grumble. But like, I think, well, that's a valuable member of your community, right? Like, so yeah. let's not have that attitude about it. And same, same as in all things, like when change is happening, which obviously it's always happening, we're, we're just, you know, it's just an illusion when it seems like it's not. But when change is happening, you have the decision to latch onto that change and try to make it into something that you want or reject it and try to avoid it. And, you know, I mean, I think, I think well, humanity it's... needs both of those perspectives, but the three of us clearly are, are trying to grapple onto it. Sure. I've got a question for Nick. It's been said before that this particular ecosystem really has a way of sort of making the, f- the, the founders that break through their air quote product. I think maybe Jeff Reynolds said that well, was that he learned at YC with Demo Day one day that he's like, oh, wait, I'm the product, not the founder. Mm. And I and I, I think I, I think I see what his point, but how do you think about that locally? Do you do you see a couple a couple different founders being propped up as the product or do you think we're way off on that? Well, I mean there are some instances in which the founder is literally the product, sure. right? So you think about um, businesses that are using like consulting time, right? And they might build a big team around them, but oftentimes the knowledge and experience of the individuals is itself the product, right? So like that's one bucket. I don't think you're asking me that question, to be clear. But like, um, so are you saying, are you asking me how is like, how is Boise different in this regard? Or I think with that, so I guess the better way to say that is that there's, whenever there's a hot spot of entrepreneurship, the the vendors circle. So that could be consultants, that mm-hmm. can be, you know, ranging freelancers, money raisers, developers, all those things that then sort of survive on that small, in this case, very small ecosystem uh, as a, you know, if that's your, only strategy that's not a good one here, but I think that's what, you know, founder breaks through and then vendor and everybody else comes on to ride with founder to the top. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's how these, this works. Right. And, and one, I think negative about Boise is we don't have the cycle of like successful entrepreneurs. So a lot of times our, our successful companies here are on longer arcs than that, where by the time the company has that big exit, the founder's usually ready to retire. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like, you know, these are, these are 20 year arcs as opposed to, you know, 10, eight year arcs. Yeah. Right. So there's a longer arc, which by the way, probably makes for healthier companies, right? But the thing you're talking about is serial entrepreneurs who are cycling through and they have, you know, essentially the might of trusted partners around them. So then they themselves as a product become more trusted to take whatever the idea is that they're hot and bothered about right now to to the next level because investors are going to be like, well, listen, he's done this three times. We had a blah, blah, blah exit, right? And so like, I think that we do have a lack of that. Mm. And the other thing I think it's hard for people who are that to come try and replicate that here, right? You may have had that, but they're so ecosystem specific, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're like huge, right? Like we, we can rattle off a handful of names that like you can go in any city in the United States, people probably know who you are and you could get funding if you ask for it, right? I don't know why you need it at that point, but besides the point, we don't have a cycle of serial entrepreneurs here. But that just takes time, right? Those cycles are getting faster. The funding partners early stage are are getting faster. Like companies are surviving further in the process than they used to. And so it's growing, it's developing. But back to our, the original thing we're talking about, like Boise needs more entrepreneurs, whether that's first time founders, whether that's new people coming here who want to start a business here. That's the thing that's actually needed because the funding will come. And then I think that's a perfect segue into what I think was the favorite point brought up so far. One of them was founders raising money to have jobs that they control, not necessarily or specifically focusing on returning capital to investor. Mm-hmm. And I think I w- my eyes were open. I-, I knew this was all existed. I didn't know how to say it, I- but you know, I- we heard it this year on the, on the really, really. How do you think about that? Is that here? Uh, how prevalent do you think that knowledge gap is? Or, mm-hmm. and and how, do- how do you think it affects the local, the, the investors here locally who you know, I, I, I always try to give them some credit because I'm sure there's a lot of fatigue sure. because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that this is, again, the difference between the mindset of a serial entrepreneur and someone who's looking to build a business to have a business, right? And they want independence. And there's like certain things that they're like demanding as part of the lifestyle choice to be an entrepreneur. So this like really came front and center to me when I went and spent time with Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle, right? So they were like kind enough to give me like a whole afternoon to sit down and like explain their whole model and explain where the resources come from and 
It was awesome, right? And they were talking about how they end up forming some of these companies, right? So they go from ideation internally in the studio to actually then forming a company and hiring people around it. And so they're talking about like the equity breakdown of what the founder they recruit looks like. And without giving away the numbers, I don't know what they are today, right? Like, so I don't want to misquote numbers from what they do. The founder ended up with a, a much smaller stake in the company than I was used to hearing as someone in Boise. And so I like kind of drilled in on that. I was like, talk to me more about that. And what it was really is that they were cycling through these people pretty quick. So if I was a founder, I'd take one idea and run with it through the cycles and the metrics that they think are important. And if it dies, I'd go back to the beginning of the line and get another one, right? As these people are just used to like, boom, boom, boom. Okay, this is the one, right? And each cycle also has an opportunity to replace the CEO, the founder, right? And like, they're totally cool with that. Now, imagine if you went and talked to an early stage company here in that context, they look at you like you were an alien, right? Totally an alien. And so I do think that that's the question. Like, why are you an entrepreneur and why are you looking at doing this? Now, is one way worse than the other? Mm, well, I think in the development of an ecosystem, certainly there is one that's more preferential to the other. But in terms of healthy companies being developed, is one worse than the other? I don't know if I have a good answer to that. Again, back to Jack Bourne's comment, I think some of those independent-minded founders form very capital-efficient companies. They certainly vet through the idea, and if they fail or succeed, it's on their own you know, bootstraps, right? And so they're like, there's good things about those companies. They're very stable, right? But we certainly don't have a ton of growth in that kind of serial entrepreneurship when you aren't going through the cycles and people are so tied to that one thing that they're going to control for the next 20, 30 years of their life and then retire on. And Tom, this is something that you had some good thoughts on when we had the conversation was you you imparted some nuance to that and tried, I think tried to like broaden that topic out a little bit. Do you have any any kind of secondary thoughts on founder raises money because they want to build something to exit? and give their investors back or founder raise money because first and foremost, they have a job to control and then whatever else happens, great, but they're covered. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in a lot of cases, I think I think the stage that we're at in Boise, just our stage of development is that a lot of the people that are coming into the space and, and saying like, I want to be a startup founder, I want to be an entrepreneur, are still trying to figure out what the world actually wants from them. What do investors want from me? Like, what are what are my employees going to want from me? I mean, in a lot of cases, like I've experienced that in trial by fire, and I'm probably still in the middle of the fire. But that we haven't developed to the point where we have these people who are professional serial entrepreneurs, as you described them. I think we're just building to that point, building to the point where this is a market that that could support that Pioneer Square Labs well, we, model. I mean, not not that Pioneer Square Labs model is the, the the point of it is, but we do actually have some of these serial entrepreneurs. Like we Jessica, do, we like do Jessica Rolf comes to mind, right? Like, yeah. there's a handful of these entrepreneurs here who who get these cycles, who understand these cycles, have been able to maintain the relationships from their previous successful ventures to like go on to the next thing, and and understand that being a CEO is not about like. Uh, making choices for you to manage that company for the rest of your life. It's it's about making sure that that company is successful, that the people in, invested in it get their returns, and that's how you level up. Like that's how you actually have level up in your life by by making sure the investors make money. Because the next time you go ask for money, guess what? Yes. It's not. It's there's no difficulty in it. You're like, hey, guess what? You made like twenty million dollars off of me. Can I get some more money? And they're like, oh, how many dollars? They in were waiting would in you your like? yard before you had yeah. the idea. The second one. Oh, right. yeah. Can can we go out to dinner so you can tell me about your yeah. new idea that I can fund? Right. And like, I yeah. <laughs> and I think that is awesome. Taking a and some people, a lot of people disagree with me. Like taking a long view of. I might give up a little bit more in this particular venture because I promise you I'm going to have another one. And I would love to make that scaling and capital, kind of bringing the capital structure together quicker. That's how I feel. Well, and that's a question about how, how precious to be, how precious to be with your ownership stake in any of these companies. I believe that you want to make sure that you're in the right seat that when you get through these rounds of funding, you still have enough of a voice at the table that you can actually successfully operate your company, right? Like, I think that's the only goal, right? And the smart way to do this, right? So then, then it really just becomes like, how smartly can I plan my future rounds out where I can raise capital at the right valuation, where people are inclined to say yes to me, right? right? But I'm also going to be in a seat where, you know, maybe I don't own... 51% of everything, 75% of everything, whatever that magic number is in your head, 
but I do have enough where I can operate my company because at the end of the day, my only goal really here is to build a successful company and exit, yeah. right? That's it, right? And so I think I think when you get really weirdly precious about like percentage ownership, you're not talking about I've planned this smartly. It's an emotional reaction to how much I own of this thing that I have to operate, right? Well, yeah. Well, in a lot of cases, I think it's it's also, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I, and and Jessica Rolfe is a good example of that. And there definitely are other examples mm-hmm. of people who have figured that out and have learned that and have gone through the flow more than once. I mean, Faisal is another great person to go talk to about this. Go out and yeah. lunch with Faisal and talk about because he's had to do it like four times. Well, <laughs> but my point is that my point is that we are we're at the point where we have several of those. But you know, we would be hard pressed to really fill like we couldn't fill a stadium with them exactly. Well, you, you know, you, you people, can't people in any other ecosystem either. People are developing to that point. And what I'm about to say is that I think that things like Entrepreneur Week, like give you a window Mm -hmm. into what is going to be expected of you. Things like Trailhead give you the opportunity to plug into Faisal, who's on the board at Trailhead and and is probably pretty willing to talk to Trailhead members. I really think we... Oh yeah, totally. We John, we talk about like what look, we want to do something with this, and and the voice we've sort of built. I don't know why people listen, but they do. Um, and what what's come on to me is that really there's two tracks. There's the Jeff Reynolds path of and idea set go of look. I would I want to build my own thing, or I have a passion. I want to learn how to build. And then I think secondarily there is another track where there should be pre qualification, um, but a more advanced MBA program, if you will. For founders that are just about to that genuine inflection point where they can actually put capital to use productively, where they are able to, if they haven't before, learn what they don't know quicker by having some very detailed conversations about capital structure, valuation, mm-hmm. board, board management, well, all j- those things that, that you would learn the hard way. Jeff is definitely not wrong, though. So, I mean, part of the story of when you're going, I mean, I don't know how many pitches I've seen in the last few years, like hundreds, right? And like part of the story for these fundraising questions is like, why you? Why are you the right person to take this idea and run with it? And like having passion for the problem, right? Having passion and advocacy for the customer, right? Like all those things take a degree of seriousness for the problem you're trying to solve that cannot just be explained away in trying to have like a successful exit for my investors, right? Like that does not work. Yeah. So like Jeff is definitely not wrong. Like there, that is part of the story of why someone would bother funding you. You need the insight, you need the passion, you need to understand those metrics that you have to hit. Uh, and someone who's, you know, really passionate about the business is the right person to fund nine times out of 10. And, and hopefully it's a serial entrepreneur, yeah. right? Because then it's almost unquestionable, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. So my new passion is this, right? And that's why they're fundable. They're a trusted source. You know they're going to run out. They know they think about problems smartly. That's that's the right ingredients. That's the right sauce, right? I guess what I'm thinking about is that an ecosystem really, if you, I guess maybe making it very simple, is you've essentially got high school seniors and kindergartners in the same classroom at all times in a city like this mm-hmm. in terms of like entrepreneurial experience. Mm-hmm. And so does it make sense at some point to sort of move some people to the one side and then some others to the other side and really focus on the building and the ideation and the conceptual stuff? Because I think what happens here is that you look at you know some of these other founders that have raised money. You're like, well, shit, I need to raise money too because mm-hmm. they did it, and that's when you get these really horrific pitches and expectation. It's not because these people are bad people; they just don't know what they don't know, and they're just kind of following suit. I've always thought that there's just that extra necessary step, and maybe it's one trailhead lesson, well, or not- one other mentor that like like Jeff's a good one kind of right to start it for sure. So in more mature ecosystems, though, just just an odd point. By when you when your company needs capital and you can't get it, that is a metric on success 100%. in and of itself. Yeah. And so that's that's another thing that if you're a startup founder, you're like, okay, I've been at this for two years, all right? I have like maybe sold the first thing to the company, I have a good story when I'm pitching, and I gosh, I just can't get funding. Guess what, Buttercup? Like it might not be that good of an idea. Capital raiser is validation. Either you or the idea is not investable right now does that mean you don't have a company maybe you could squeak a company out and build something but like that is a metric in and of itself on if this is something worth pursuing and there's nothing wrong in saying, i totally like, agree all right let's find a new problem like let's solve it a different way yeah right? or potentially another a reason to pivot a reason yeah to change but that's, how, but that's yeah. what serial entrepreneurs do 
right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's exactly behavior that a serial entrepreneur would behave in, right? They they move quickly through these cycles. When they hit one, they go hard. They find the passion that they need to find. But if they don't, they don't like sit there and bang their head against the wall for three years trying to figure out why someone like doesn't want to buy sandals on Amazon in some particular way. Like it's ridiculous, right? So yeah, but that's 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 a maturity thing too, right? For sure. Yeah, my my big takeaway from Jeff's thing, just responding to your point, is you know. I think I think if we were going to put a lot of proactive effort in like what could we do to improve some of the outcomes that, that we're looking at, it would be to just, as Jeff said, just zoom way in on the fundamentals and like really figure out those cycles of like taking an action against a problem, producing value for the people who experience that problem and like expanding that cycle to the next step, like probably well before we even talk about funding well, or how or how they should think about like yes. four years down the line. Yes. Yeah, certainly with with first time founders. I mean, 100 percent. Right. I mean, look before you leap. Right. No doubt. And certainly look before you leap before you put your own money in. Um, <laughs> that's or that's, other people's money. Well, I mean, sometimes I think it's sadder when it's theirs. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, that's true. An investor, you know, they, they understand their risk. They went through due diligence. It's on them. It's not the founder's fault. Right. But like all these founders don't know and they're cashing out like, you know, their mother's 401k to like build this thing that's so screwed. Right. And so like I feel for those people and I want to help them and I want to try and give them on ramps and do anything I can. But you're right. Like the fundamentals aren't quite right. Like sometimes they don't know what metrics they're even trying to fundraise against, right? And that's a very important part of telling the story is like what your growth trajectory looks like, what what this really looks like. And so, you know, you see that a lot here too. Now, some of those, you know, they they cut early and they they figure out a way to get themselves out of that that death spiral and other ones are successful and go on to build something new but i mean just right like focusing on the fundamentals is a big part of this and a lot of them are trying to do it all at once and they really have yeah, no idea yeah that's my point yeah, yeah yeah they're just they're starting they're doing it trying to do it all at once and a lot of them are a lot of ones i've seen this and not just here but i made a pitch deck and i need to raise money to launch said thing into the world and and that to me is is tough i would say this is the last thing i want to mention is and dom what part of like the city and the state play a role? You mean the governments? The govern yeah. What what sort of local uh, you know state or or uh, city government like what role do they play? Are they doing enough of it? And you know again, is that another way? I, I don't know where I stand on that because I just don't focus there. Mm-hmm. I had uh, Ketchum Innovation Center. I had some rather un uh, unappease- unappealing kind of insight into board meetings and stuff where. You know, they just, you know, not their fault. They just weren't willing to invest there. They didn't feel like they needed to mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, that makes, I guess, makes sense. It's a kind of a resort town. But here, what role does it play? And, and what should we be doing more of, less of? Should we have better expectations, less expectations? Well, to a significant event, uh, I want to hear your answer to this too, Nick, because you've, in, in helping run Entrepreneur Week, you've brushed shoulders with more of the people that are taking these actions. But I mean, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, a lot of the fundamentals that we've been talking about helping our community mature, trailhead, right? Public-private partnership might not exist or might not have con- been able to continue to exist if it wasn't for having support from the city. Idaho STEM Action Center, contributing to Boise Entrepreneur Week and contributing to like education and a lot of other things. I don't think that government can do it for us. I don't think that government can step in and change the game, but having government support is clearly like a very, has been a very important part of a lot of ecosystems coming to be. And and also not having government pressure going in the opposite direction, making it too hard for people. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I listen, I think there's a lot of ways to look at this, and I have this conversation in a lot of different ways. And so typically when I'm talking with an elected official or uh, someone in charge of a program within government or some funding pockets or whatever it is, right? Like, usually what I say is that, like, listen, you know, I, I understand that you have some thoughts and concerns and you have some opinions about how this, that, or whatever should go, right? I mean, in some ways, you're elected to have those thoughts, right? But what the ecosystem, especially Boise, and I think this is somewhat evergreen for every ecosystem, what it really needs is a supportive partner and cheerleader, okay? Now, what did I really just say? we don't need you to run it. We don't really need you to have super strong opinions about it. We need you to be somewhat reactive to our needs, right? So we're going to come to you and we're going to talk about a program we want to fund. We think it does this. This is the results that we want to do. Can we get this program funded? Sometimes they'll offer a carrot. They're like, oh, well, we can match if you can get some private 
partnership to do yeah. it, which is like my favorite deal because I can just pick up the phone and like make it happen, right? And so like those are that's perfect because then it like instantly forms a public private partnership on a specific program that you want you want to do. I will tell you that most officials, whether they're elected or appointed or hired, are relieved relieved that they are not responsible to run it because they know that in in these particular cases they're not the experts right they want to be heard they want to be a cheerleader they want to have their logo in the something that's successful they want to show that their program is being successful and it's your job to do those things for them right but they certainly want to elevate other voices who have that expertise. That is a desire that they have. And so I can say here in Boise, it's no different, right? The city doesn't want to run Entrepreneur Week. The city doesn't want to run Trailhead. But as a supportive cheerleader, perfect position. Yeah, I yeah. actually agree with that. Yeah. And, they're, and they're also, you know, I mean, we talk about ecosystem. We talk about developing these things. And we're putting, like, volunteer time into trying to help foster a more mature ecosystem here but like to what end so that the people within the ecosystem can get rich or what it, you know and, and that answer may be very different for everybody but you know i like that i i think it's crucial that there are people in that conversation who are incentivized to make sure that not only the people who are like directly involved in the ecosystem but actually the community the place we live the people we love that live in this area also have a chance to also have a stake in this community and have a stake in benefiting from the actions that we take. Well, entrepreneurship's the great equalizer, man. Like you will never get which rich unless you're an entrepreneur, right? That's just that's it. That's how that works. Or, or a stroke of luck, right? I guess the guy who wins the lottery or whatever, like Bitcoin okay, millionaires. Fine. Yeah, I don't count that. Whatever. <laughs> Good for those. Most teens. people, most very wealthy people are, are self made in some way. Yes. Or, or, yes. Right. Yeah. And, and, have, and also achieved. I, I think it also takes learning those bumps and bruises to maintain it too. Yeah. So I don't expect as many Bitcoin millionaires to exist in ten years. No. Right. right? Like, and I you, couldn't, so. you couldn't expect it to happen to you. Yeah. You couldn't take that action and know. Yeah. And and it was a crapshoot for those of us benefit. Great for them. I mean, I'm not sad that you can like buy a Ferrari. Whatever. But like. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, that's what they're going to do with it, right? But the, the point that I'm saying is that when you talk about the reason why you invest in this stuff and you're like, well, is it just to make some people rich? Some people will get rich from being an entrepreneur. That's just going to happen, right? But entire economies are built around this behavior. Like, it's not about just like some guy who could buy a nice house in the hills. It's actually about all the people that can then be employed, the products that get developed here, the manufacturing that they partner with south of town, the like mailing company that has to mail it, like the restaurants that opened up near their their office. Like, entire economies can be defined by successful entrepreneurs. They will make cities. Look at Simplot, look at Micron, look at these companies that are like, you know, we think of them as blue bloods here in Boise, but they define what is Boise. I mean, Albertsons, right? There's a handful of those that, that we can look further back on. That's the reason why you support entrepreneurship. That's the reason why uh, Entrepreneurship Week, Trailhead, whatever program that is trying to enhance those, that's why you do it because it will define. There's a network the effect money. to it. Yeah, yeah. And Dom, are you saying more like that? You think that there's a should be a direct, um, chipped off piece of a big exit or something for that local community, more more defined within the actual liquidity event. No, I'm not. not I'm not saying that's a whole I'm, different conversation. I'm not advocating for like yeah. a tax or anything. But I, I, Nick said it beautifully. Yeah, no, it's, he did. You know, entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship has can have a positive impact on the community outside of the people who you know actually are entrepreneurs and so it's you know and and not only that but also the problems that we're solving the problems that we're capable of solving that might affect us directly mm -hmm. I, I mean you know here in the northwest wildfires are a big problem they're going to get a lot worse i like the notion of people here having the skills to be able to help solve that problem here on our grounds otherwise you know we, we can't necessarily wait for other markets to care as much about our problems, which it, California is also. It's funny you bring that up because I, I was just a judge up at U of I's uh, engineering expo. And, you know, there's like, I don't know, 200 student teams. Some of the projects were silly and hilarious and awesome. And other ones were very serious. And there were at least three that we're trying to talk about exactly that problem. Like, how do you track wildfires better? How do you put them out faster? How do you like, you know, yeah, so- Thank God. I, men I mentor a company that's got technology out of Jackson Hole. If you ever want to know, 
about more of the sort of cutting edge ways of fighting wildfires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and and I mean, you can you can evergreen say something about just like climate change generally, right? Like right. entrepreneurs are going to be the ones that solve these problems. Always, I think entrepreneurship either saves the world or destroys it. Um, but I do think it does come. Either of those results come because of entrepreneurship. I really do. Mm-hmm. I believe that to the core. I also, as we kind of round this out, this was quick. I mean, I knew we'd have Nick on. I, mean, I literally could talk to Nick for a long time about all this stuff. And I do, by the way, on the sideline. Because um, I've really gotten a good grasp of this place and the seasons that I've gone through in it. Sure. And there have been seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and changing viewpoints and sort of, I've gone through just a lot of change and, and really specific to entrepreneurship because of coming here. And I think that the trailhead um, is, you know, is is near 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 and dear to me mm-hmm. um, specifically. Shameless plug, if you allow me. Yeah, yeah. Trailheads fundraiser is is coming up here real quick. If you've thought about getting involved in Trailhead, you know, as a corporate partner or as an interested party or even just a new person in the city, you know, now's the time. Go reach out to my buddy TM. Right, TM's yep. the man. He is the man. And uh, they're in the middle of that right now. And there's there's not a more worthy organization for entrepreneurship to support in the city of Boise. Yeah. And their fundraiser is on June 17th, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. It's a virtual event. Anybody can make it. You don't even have to leave your desk. There you go. Or you could just wire. You can just wire down. Did we all Actually, have... you could just, we should just put their account <laughs> you, number out there. I mean, if you, you don't have the time, you could just throw up. Just wire yeah. some money. To yeah. Because there's a, you know, go drop checks off for TM. I, uh, TM's, so, TM's the first, actually, to you and TM were the two first people I met here before I moved. So Boise. Funny story about that. So we decided as vinyl a couple of years ago that we were just going to pay for a bank of memberships, whether our people use them or not. And like anybody who works for vinyl can go to Trailhead whenever they want. Yeah. And that's like a great way to give like a sustainable. It's not a gift, right? We're getting something for it. A sustainable uh, membership there. And and you know I don't think we'll ever stop doing that. And our people do use it. Our employees certainly go down there and grab a beer after work or whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to get involved, and there's a lot of ways to think about it. It doesn't have to be a traditional sponsorship. There's a lot of ways to think about how to be involved in Trailhead. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had a Trailhead membership for years, and I've probably spent 10 days sitting at a hot desk there total. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and just there was a period where I needed it for a short time. But it's just, it's a nonprofit, you know, and they host a lot of events that are relevant to me. Mm-hmm. And some of those are networking opportunities. Some of those are information opportunities. And, like, I drink the coffee down there, and I had, like, three vegetarian sandwiches at the last event. So, You're, like... You're welcome. You know, I think those are my veggie sandwiches, right? Those startup entrepreneur week events. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, sweet. Yeah. Sure were. <laughs> I, I actually, we, I we talk about it so, uh, quite a bit in the Killer Creamery team. Is that um, it, it means something to us to be one of the first exits that started at the trailhead. Yeah, and I think that strengthens the story, adds uh, national credibility to this. Where there's not, I mean, there's just not a lot of cities this size or, or community incubators that are producing actual. Louis, I mean, Exits. Lewis is OG, man. He's got He's a poster on the wall. way OG. I mean, Killer you, way. You know that Trail Mix exists because of that odd interaction with, with Killer Way at the time I in do. Albertsons, right? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why that event exists. And it's honestly, yeah, it's it's a huge, Killer Creamer is a huge success story. Love Every is a huge success story for mm-hmm. the trailhead. And uh, while I love the count and Equifax and uh, all that stuff, I'm excited to hopefully be part of some that actually were built first at the trailhead. Yeah. Um, I think that would be awesome and a very well-deserved lift for that organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's it. You that's just got to cut it off just like that? Hey, yeah, listen. I'm going to thank Nick. Or, I want to I mean, <laughs> thank you both for inviting me down here. It's You're always welcome. fun to talk with both of you, and, and uh, this is a wonderful discussion. Yeah. This is how Likewise. we do. Thanks for coming down. This is how we do. I don't, I'm trying to think if I have – usually I, this is the moment where I try to fuck with Dom. Like his head, tell the next one. But you know, yeah, I do I, your worst. What I, do you got? You know, I don't, what you got, Matt? I have run so out of steam over these episodes. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't know if it's just like I, I just have given up. All right, so <laughs> you, you're you, too advanced. You have to, you have to promise me something right here. Then, since you're out of how you're going to mess with Dom's head, yeah. After this is over, yes. I'm going to brainstorm the first question you ask in the next one. Yes. <laughs> Deal? That, oh gosh, oh, I, I need. Me. I was Nick hoping knows me well enough to really fuck with me because oh, yeah. these two have been uh, business partners in the past, and and I have resisted many times during today to, to reach into that bucket. Um, but glad to have you here. Glad you guys met and glad uh, the organization that exists that you helped start. And uh, I think uh, there's, it does feel like there's something going on here. In Bo- like, I, I don't know that I felt it last year. I do feel it now. Oh, it's I, definitely I definitely feel it, yeah. It's definitely. here. The it's time here. is now. Mm-hmm. Time is now. All right, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Dom. That's Thank it. You.